the American poet Paul Lawrence Dunbar once wrote about a caged bird. A caged bird. It was a bird that looked out through the bars of the cage, saw the beauty of nature, rivers, sunny skies, sloping grasslands. It looked out, it wanted out, couldn't get out. It's caged. Paul Dunbar understood that. And wrote, wrote a poem about that. I know what the caged bird feels when the sun is bright on the upland slopes, when the wind stirs soft through the springing grass, and the river flows like a stream of glass, when the first bird sings and the first bud opes, and the faint perfume from its chalice steals. I know what the caged bird feels. I know why the caged bird beats his wing till its blood is red on the cruel bars, for he must fly back to his perch and cling when he fain would be on the bough a swing, and a pain still throbs in the old, old scars, and they pulse again with keener sting. I know why he beats his wing. I know why the caged bird sings when his wing is bruised and his bosom sore. When he beats his bars and he would be free, it is not a carol of joy or glee, but a prayer he sends from his heart's deep core, but a plea that upward to heaven he flings. I know why the caged bird sings. Dunbar's poem addresses both the agony of captivity and the indomitable spirit of human resilience. Resilience. Now there's a word. Resilience. Some mistakenly think that resilience is about bouncing back. There is no back. It's just forward. It's just forward. We're not going back to February. Going forward of life through hardship, forward from pain to wisdom, from fear to courage, from suffering to strength. I know why the caged bird sings. It's a paradox, isn't it? This bird is caged, yet this bird still sings. The cage has limited the mobility of the bird, but has not limited the melody of the bird. And the poem prompts the question, must your song be limited when your life is? Must my circumstances circumscribe whether I sing or what song I sing? A song. A song that becomes a prayer. It's a prayer. It's not a carol of joy or glee. But a prayer he sends from his heart's deep core. A plea that upward to heaven he flings. I know why the caged bird sings. I wonder if Mr. Dunbar 
read the book of Job. I wonder if he knew of Job 35.10. Because I believe that Job 35.10 offers a clue as to why even a caged bird sings. Job 35.10 offers an answer as to how genuine praise, authentic praise, lodged in our hearts can make its way out of our lips. Job 35.10 is about how to live out faith in caged times. Is anybody here feeling caged? Well, the book of Job may help. The book of Job, one pastor called Job a transcript of life. A a biopsy of living tissue about human pain. And, And in this ancient book, we meet a man named Job, who in God's own words... Uh, He was blameless and upright. He feared God. He shunned evil. God says that. I mean, Job was this stellar, godly human being. And yet he suffers. And Job doesn't know why he's suffering. And and Job... In the middle of this storm of suffering, he begins to see God as a criminal. Because he doesn't know why he's suffering. And he's crying out to God. And and as the lyrics of this poetic book, and this is what we're reading, Hebrew high poetry. Job subpoenas God to appear before him in court. Now think about that for a minute. But that's Job. He doesn't know why he's suffering. And to Job, God has broken his own law. You know, good things come to the godly and bad things come to the ungodly. God, this is not right. And so Job wants answers. Job subpoenas God. And yet Job doesn't hear from God To Job, God is in contempt of court. And Job says, well, okay, well, I'll go to where you are. Job 23, 3. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. But Job can't even go there because he doesn't know where. He doesn't know where God is. Job 23, 8 and 9. Behold, I go forward. He's not there. And backward, I don't perceive him. On the left hand, when he's working, I don't behold him. He turns to the right hand. I don't see him. Forward, backward, right, left. Job, Job can't find God. Job wants to know. Job sees God as a criminal in contempt. But Job has friends. Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar. And they don't quite see God the way Job sees God. 
they are called by some Bible teachers, Job's comforters. And if anybody ever calls you one of Job's comforters, it's not a compliment. <laughs> it's not. No. And, and, and Job's, Job's comforters are why we're going to enter our next teaching series next week called Weep With Me. It's a, it's a series about empathy and sympathy and listening and risking entering into someone else's pain and suffering, even if you've not experienced that, and acknowledging it and being the presence of Jesus, yeah, weep with me how lament opens the door to racial reconciliation. That's where we're going over the next month. It'll be a time of equipping and training our hearts to be the life and love of Jesus, to, to be the anti-Job's comforters. <laughs> yeah. Because the de that's the default. The default is Job's comforters. That's the default. I don't need training for that. See, They didn't see God as a criminal. No, that to them, God doesn't act. God reacts. God rewards you if you are right and punishes you if you do wrong. So it's like, Job, what did you do wrong? What did you do wrong? Obviously, this wouldn't have happened to you if... You had been living godly. I mean, the, the, the outcome of your life leads us to believe that you did something wrong. What did you do that was wrong? And to them, they don't see God as a criminal. They see God as a prisoner in a caged, transactional, moral, religious program. They have put God in the cage of constraints, but God will not be bound by the boundaries of my mind. He's free. He is powerful. He is loving. He is mysterious. He is like the wind. Job 38 teaches us about the God of the wind, the God of the whirlwind, the God of the storm, God as He truly is. Anybody out last week when the squall line hit? Remember that Monday? My goodness gooey and muggy all throughout the day and then right around five o'clock oh my goodness this fierce and untamed wall of wind came our way and i was at home when it happened and i was out on the porch when it was coming and i stepped out and i was looking this is amazing. The trees were swaying back and forth. This is amazing. Sarah's inside going, have you lost your mind? Get inside. What is the deal? Oh, sweetheart, this is an Oklahoma breeze. It's kite weather. Come on, it's okay. And Fierce and untamed. And, and we didn't get the worst of it. Yeah, you know that. Our farmers know that. My goodness. A lot of fields were flattened last week by this untamed wild wind. Well, this is our God. 
the, the divine derecho, silent, but not absent. He exercises constraint. He listens until he speaks. And when he speaks, though, he will have the last word. The God of the storm awakens the sleepy. The God of the, the, God of the storm is the the God of the storm in Job is the God who would then put on flesh and walk among us and then still the storms. This is the God we worship. This is the God we worship. So, so you see, you have, you have Job and his comforters here on one side of the book of Job, and then you have God, the Lord of the storm, on this side. And then, in our text today, we hear words spoken by this, a mysterious fourth friend. His name is Elihu. And out of nowhere, this, this young, mysterious friend appears. And Elihu says, that, Elihu says that he deferred to the others because of his youth. He says, let days speak and many years teach wisdom. So he was silent. <laughs> but he really wasn't impressed with what he heard. He wasn't. He was not impressed. He wasn't impressed with, wasn't impressed with Job. And he wasn't impressed with Job's comforters. And in Job 32 through 37, Elihu says, I have some thoughts. And, and, and in the midst of these thoughts, we have these words he spoke. Words which, when he speaks these words, I wonder if he even understood the full measure of his wisdom. Because what he says gives us resilience and endurance in times like this. What he says recognizes the fatigue we are facing and the utter inability of our own resources to survive this season and what he says acknowledges the tension between what is incredibly hard and what is graciously provided Job 35:10 but none says where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? Songs in the night. Elihu's God is the God who gives songs in the night. Let's just, let's just read closely this verse. And when we do, we'll learn some lessons. The first is this. Night seasons are a reality. Night seasons are a reality. It doesn't matter how righteous you are. <laughs> it doesn't matter how long you've been a believer. It doesn't matter if you're ordained. It doesn't matter if you're pastor of church. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how connected you are to a church family. If you live long enough, you will understand that night seasons are a reality. And Job was living through 
a night season, a mysterious dark night season, a night season of grief, a night season of sorrow, a night season of death, a night season of disease, a night season of poverty, a night season of confusion, a night season of disappointment. And for Job, it was a night season he did not deserve. And more than that, it was a night season he just didn't understand. Job 7.20, why? Have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? You, you, you can handle the suffering better if it makes sense. At, at least it feels that way, doesn't it? And Job, Job cries out, I have been going to church too much to deserve this. I've been tithing too much. I've been mentoring too much. I've been serving too much. I've been reading my Bible too much to deserve this. Job was in a night season. Our nation is in a night season right now. Everything we thought was reliable has been snatched from under our feet. We're like Sinbad who's anchored to what he thought was an island. But it wasn't, was it? It was a fierce sea beast that took off anchor, boat, and all. We're in a night season of trying to figure out what we can count on and who we can count on. And, and we've learned very quickly how wealth can vanish. 1 Timothy 6 warns us about this. Warns us not to put our hope in the uncertainty of wealth. Well, last February, that was a concept. Today, it's an experience. It's a nighttime. And, the, and there's a nighttime of sickness. This, this viral beast lurks around the corner and breaks out suddenly, and then, you know. Loved ones are gone. Night season of sickness. And I shouldn't have to convince any of us in this room about the night season of racism that's going on in America. I shouldn't have to convince any of us about the smoldering embers of racism that are still hot in our country. Flare up. Look, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that it's a night season. Last week in services, Sunday night, Justin asked our families and children to just, what anxieties and fears need to be brought to the cross? Here are some of those anxieties and fears. Someone said, I'm, I'm afraid of death. These are adults and children. I'm afraid of socializing with kids my age. I'm afraid of being around a lot of people. I'm, I'm afraid that school determines my future. I'm afraid of losing someone else I love after my grandma passed away. Um, I'm a teacher. I'm afraid of going back to school. I'm afraid of finances. I, I'm afraid that I won't hear God's voice when he's speaking to me. I'm afraid of not knowing what God's definition of success is for my life. 
I'm afraid of forgetting how blessed and loved I really am by our Father. I'm afraid that the fruit of the Spirit is lacking in my life. I'm, I'm afraid of being mean to people without meaning to. I'm afraid for our country. I'm afraid I'm not a good mother for my children. I'm afraid I'll fail at leading and people will lose their jobs. I'm afraid that my marriage will suffer because of stress. I'm afraid of my kids walking away from God. I'm afraid of monsters under my bed. Oh. You know what? I have been too. I'm afraid of corn. Think about that for a minute. We live around these fields and we're conditioned, right? But for us, it's for us riding our bicycle by the field of corn, it's not a there's nothing for some of us to fear for. Some of us, it's very fearful because it's unfamiliar, you see. I'm afraid. Someone said, I'm afraid of being afraid. It's complicated. It sure is. Storms. Night seasons are a reality. There's an old gospel song that says, I've been in the storm too long. Anybody here feel like you've been in a storm too long? Well, here's the deal. And there's no getting around it. Um, Admiral James Stockdale was a POW in Vietnam. And he endured seven and a half years of captivity and torture. We're in this thing about five months. He endured seven and a half years. And Stockdale observed that the POWs under his command, those who broke the fastest were those who deluded themselves about the severity of their season. They thought they'd be free next week or by next month or by Christmas, but those dates would come and go, and finally they just lost Hope gave up and they died. They died. Stockdale lasted for seven and a half years because he refused to lie to himself. And he called it the Stockdale Paradox. The Stockdale Paradox. And here it is. It's for us. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. So it does no good to sugarcoat the facts. It does you no good about fantasizing what might be. You've got to maintain clarity about reality. And yet the paradox says that at the same time, you've got to find a way to maintain hope. And what we learn from Elihu is that night seasons are a reality. And at the same time, listen, look at me. Night, season, night singing is a possibility. Night singing is a possibility. Night singing. 
Anybody can sing in the daytime. Anybody can affirm faith when no one's challenging their faith. Daytime is good and fun and God-sent. And if you sing in the daytime, then you thank God for that. Daytime singing is a time of, of health and employment and romance and popularity. That's daytime. When Israel crossed the Red Sea and Moses and the people of Israel sang out, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Listen, if God has taken you across the Red Sea, you ought to sing. It's daytime. When God parts your Red Sea, you ought to give him praise. But Elihu's talking about night singing. Singing that doesn't make sense. Singing that resonates with Hebrews chapter 11, verses 35 through 38. Got to keep reading through Hebrews to get to night singing. Night singing. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goat, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves. Now that's night singing. To, to believe God when every reason suggests otherwise. That's night singing. That, that's night singing. Habakkuk was a night singer. Now I've quoted you the verse about even though the olive tree doesn't bear fruit and there's no flocks in the barn and crops in the field, still I will rejoice in the Lord. That's Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. But there's, you've got to go back, you got to go back to a, to a deep night song. It's Habakkuk 3, 16. Though my body trembles... My lips quiver, and rottenness enters my bones, and my legs tremble. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. That's a night song. Job 35.10 says, night seasons are a reality. And then it says night singing is a possibility. Some of you are saying, I don't have that kind of song. I was hoping you would say that. Huh. Because this third lesson is that night singing is not the effort of humanity. Right? Seasons are a reality. Night singing a possibility. And night songs are not the effort of humanity. But none says, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? Night songs aren't something you can muster up. And there's seasons that no matter how hard you try, you cannot squeeze out faith. The tube is empty. I got nothing. Nothing. God, I'm out of prayers, out of faith, out of songs. 
Uh, so Russell Crowe played James Braddock, a boxer in the movie Cinderella Man. And it's in the depth of the depression. And James Braddock is there at the dinner table with his family. I mean, they, they had so much, and then the depression hit, and now they're like in the they're in a basement flat, and it's just it's just not what they had. And they're getting ready to, to, to pray over a piece of baloney and He finally says, I, I don't, I got nothing. I'm all prayed out. I'm all prayed out. This is the God who gives songs in the night. This is the God who makes divine deposits in your dry soul. This is the God who enables you to sing when you have nothing. When you have nothing. And he waits until you have nothing. To give you a song that is more beautiful than you could ever squeeze out on your own. This is the God who calls us to sing and then gives us what he requires of us. This is our God. Major League Baseball started a few weeks ago. I was watching a game on TV. It was kind of eerie. No fans in the ballpark. Batter swings. Crack. The ball on the bat. And it soars out over left field. Home run. Didn't notice this at first, but then uh, as he was rounding the base, I'm hearing... These fans just cheer. It's just roaring. The roar of the crowd. And then I realized, wait a minute. What's going Oh. <laughs> They're piping the noise into the ballparks. Do you know that? Was I the last one to figure that out? Evidently. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, there it is. What, what God requires, God supplies. God knows that I cannot do this alone. He knows this. After, after Jesus' last supper with his disciples, Mark 14, 26 says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. How can you sing when you're facing a cross? It's God, isn't it? The giver of songs. This is the God who gives songs for whatever season you're in. Are you in a season of doubt? Am I good enough? We just sang it, did we not? In Christ alone. In Christ alone. You're in a season of stress. Is there not a song about that? When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. It is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. Are you in a season of attack? Oh, a mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark, a bulwark, never failing. God wants you to tap into the song that he has already put into your heart. 
And you must sing his song because his song is what's going to get you through the night. His song, not your song. His song is going to bring the hope of day through the night. It's going to bring day into the night. Songs have a way of bringing morning joy into the night and help me taste the day even at night. Sing that song. And I'll tell you why else you need to sing that song. Because someone around you is hearing your song. Your song feeds more than you. Your song feeds others. Night songs get you through the night. And night songs bless others around you. Now I know why the exile sang on the banks of Babylon. How can we sing the Lord's song? In a strange land. Well, they did. Singing will get us through. And singing will, will help others. We're not alone. Remember in Acts chapter 16. In that Philippian jail. Beaten and bloodied. Civil rights deprived. There's Paul and Silas. Paul, a Roman citizen. Deprived of due process. And Acts chapter 17 verse 25 says. At right about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing. Singing hymns to God. And then, and the prisoners were listening. Someone's listening to the song you're singing. Whatever song that is, they're listening. Your song affects others. Paul and Silas didn't know. They didn't know that while they were praying and praising, that by the time they got to the end of the chorus, where the little credit thing shows up at the bottom of the screen, they didn't know that by the time they got there, an earthquake would open their cage. They didn't know that the jailer who had shackled them would later be baptized by them. And they didn't know that he would free them and then feed them, Acts 17, 34. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. They didn't know that the jailer before midnight would become a brother in Christ after midnight. And they'd have the breakfast of their lives the next day. God's good. It's the God who gives songs in the night. Night seasons are reality, church. And night singing is a possibility. And the reason why is that night singing is not the product of humanity. Night singing is from God. And His songs at night help you make it through the night, and his songs will help you and bless those around you and transform the night. No matter how caged up you feel, you sing anyway. You live out your faith anyway. I don't know of a time that we've been as caged in. But I know why the caged bird sings. It's not because of mobility. It's because it has a melody, a prayer, a song given by God. 
And I want you to get used to singing because we're going to be doing a lot of it in the new heavens and the new earth. In the book of Revelation, we read that those who had conquered the beast sing the song of Moses. That's Exodus 15. But we're not done there because the worshipers of the new heavens and the new earth from every tribe and nation and tongue and people also sing a new song, a new song. New songs. Why new songs? Because Ephesians 2.7 says that forever God will show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And with, with each new truth about the grace of Christ that we learn there's yet another new truth and another new truth and another and another. And as he shows us that, oh, there's another. Here's, sing this song. Oh, wow. And then there's this song. And then there's this song. And we're going to keep singing new songs forever and ever. And it's, and it's a beautiful thing when we can get started on that right now. So sing. Sing, sing, sing like that little boy did in that airplane. An older man was quite nervous when he took his first airplane flight. He made it through takeoff, started to relax, but then turbulence hit. And that man was afraid the plane would go down and that airplane cabin started making him feel caged in. And just as he was about to panic, he looked over the aisle. He saw a little boy calmly Sitting and singing. Singing. He said, how, how, how are you staying so calm? That little boy said, oh, my father is the pilot of the plane. He knows that I'm on board. So sing, God's our maker. He gives songs in the night. Amen.